the book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham became the father of Isaac. Isaac became the father of Jacob. Jacob became the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah became the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar. Perez became the father of Hezron. Hezron became the father of Ram. Ram became the father of Amminadab. Amminadab became the father of Nation. Nation became the father of Solomon. Solomon became the father of Boaz by Rahab. Boaz became the father of Obed by Ruth. Obed became the father of Jesse. Jesse became the father of David the king. David became the father of Solomon by her who had been the wife of Uriah. Solomon became the father of Rehoboam. Rehoboam became the father of Abijah. Abijah became the father of Asa. Asa became the father of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat became the father of Joram. Joram became the father of Uzziah. Uzziah became the father of Jotham. Jotham became the father of Ahaz. Ahaz became the father of Hezekiah. Hezekiah became the father of Manasseh. Manasseh became the father of Ammon. Ammon became the father of Josiah. Josiah became the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon. After the exile to Babylon, Jeconiah became the father of Shealtiel. Shealtiel became the father of Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel became the father of Abiud. Abiud became the father of Eliakim. Eliakim became the father of Azor. Azor became the father of Sadok. Sadok became the father of Achim. Achim became the father of Eliud. Eliud became the father of Eliezer. Eliezer became the father of Mathen. Mathen became the father of Jacob. Jacob became the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, from whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations. From David to the exile to Babylon, 14 generations. And from the carrying away to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. Well, those two minutes of waiting were brought to you by Advent. Advent uh, comes from the Latin word coming, or the coming, and it refers to a season of year when the church historically has set aside the four Sundays before Christmas to reflect on our longing and yearning for the coming of Christ, the second coming of Christ. Uh, Christian people are not people who have arrived, uh, we're still waiting. We are waiting for the return of Jesus Christ to fulfill his promises to us. And so uh, this morning, I wanted to take some time this first Sunday in Advent to reflect on the genealogy of Jesus. And as we do so, I want to reflect on four things about a genealogy, two of which uh, are true of all genealogies, whether they're in the Bible or not. And then the last two reflections deal with this genealogy, the genealogy that comes to us uh, in the Gospel of Matthew or again in the Gospel of Luke. The first thing is that any genealogy is a narrative of death. Uh, it's a narrative of people in your line that have died before you. And in fact, a very sobering thought is, is that there is a line on your family tree that is waiting for your name. It's like that pizza ad. What do you want in your tombstone? Um, well, I'd rather think about pepperoni and sausage uh, and onion uh, than I would about my own mortality, but genealogies uh, have this sobering impact on us. There's a line there that's waiting for my name, and therefore it's a challenge. Uh, how will I live before my name goes on that line? Uh, but genealogies are more uh, than just the narrative of death. Uh, they are the narrative of belonging. They're the record of belonging. Um, 
children, uh, when they're little, always want to ask the question, tell me about your life when you were little. Tell me about our grandparents' life when they were little. A genealogy allows you to, to communicate this record of belonging. How did we get here? Who are we? What do our people do? What do we like? Uh, genealogies are the long record uh, of, the, of that past. Now, one of the things about genealogies, too, is because they are the record of belonging, uh, they have power over us, especially if there's someone who's famous in our genealogy. Sometimes that can be used against you. You know, your grandfather was X, Y, and Z. Why can't you be more like him? That's using a genealogy against you, I guess. Um, genealogies are also fun if you have someone in your family that's famous. When I was growing up in New Jersey, I was in sixth grade and went to Thomas Jefferson Elementary School, and there I first heard the word, she's a dar. I was thinking, she's a dar? What the heck is that? I mean, I know what Italian is, or being Jewish is, or being white, or being black, but uh, she's a dar? I mean, what the heck is a dar? And that's when I first learned that Dar referred to Daughters of the American Revolution. That if a girl, a woman was a Dar, uh, that means that she could, chase, uh, she could trace her lineage uh, back to the American Revolutionary War. And it means that, that she had someone in her family uh, that was alive then. Uh, Corinne Beach in our community, uh, Corinne has a trophy case hanging on the wall in her house that has hair clips and uh, little kerchiefs that would like go in the sleeve, I guess, of a woman's dress. And in the trophy case is this little label that says, Corinne's great, 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 I think it was grandmother, wore these when she danced with George Washington at his presidential inauguration. Now that's cool. You look at those hair clips and the kerchief and you go, there was a woman who was alive that was wearing that and when she was dancing with the first president of the United States of America, George Washington. That's really cool. And I remember meeting people who had someone famous in their family uh, history and I can remember going home one day and at dinner asking my parents, do we have someone famous in our line? And my parents looked at me and they said, nope, no one famous. I said, no one famous at all? You mean there's, we don't have any kings or princes or anybody uh, famous in our family tree? And my folks just looked at me and said, no, we don't. You could be the first, but otherwise, uh, no, no one to remember. Now, I didn't remember that, that. I didn't know at that time that the real reason why we didn't know if we had anyone famous in our family tree was the simple fact that... Uh, our family tree is obliterated after my grandfather's on both sides of my family because of the Nazi Holocaust. Uh, my dad and a few of his brothers and my grandfather uh, and my two grandmothers, they all came to the United States before the Holocaust. But our family tree that existed in Poland, uh, in Ukraine, in Hungary, Romania, uh, all of that was obliterated uh, because of the Holocaust. We cannot go back. So anyone famous, I would never know about. And that's true of any people group that whose lives have been disrupted, uh, that our genealogies uh, become the record of us not belonging, uh, that uh, the Holocaust told us we don't belong. Uh, 
um, for African Americans who are aware of, of their descendants from slaves. That's a genealogical disruption uh, that tells of a period when they did not fully belong. And the thing about genealogies, uh, I would notice that friends who had famous people in, in their lineage, um, it kind of caused them to throw their shoulders back and, and think maybe more highly of themselves than they should. Uh, but those of us who couldn't trace our lineage, didn't have a clue, uh, it, it caused us to feel a little ashamed, especially when I was younger. But it shapes your perception of history and events because of the simple fact that your genealogy is incomplete. It can't be traced. So those are two things, I think, that are common uh, to all genealogies. Uh, but as we consider this genealogy in Matthew's Gospel, I think the first thing is, is that when we start talking about God and the grace of God and the narrative flow of his redemptive history, then that impregnates any discussion of a genealogy uh, with the gracious uh, love and kindness of God. It gives a meaning that's greater than simply the historical record uh, of, of the loved ones who have gone before us or um, the, the, the um, esteem that your genealogy can give you as it speaks of the record of your belonging. Uh, genealogies, this genealogy, is the historical record of God's grace. That's what separates it from my genealogy or your genealogy uh, in that this genealogy begins to change the narrative. It begins to show us how the grace of God works, works itself out. Um, this is the genealogy where outsiders become insiders, morally compromised, broken, and frail people being introduced into God's gracious care and His kingdom rule. Uh, take, for example, the mothers of Jesus that are highlighted here, Tamar, Rahab, uh, Ruth, um, Bathsheba, um, four women, uh, all of whom were um, not Jewish. Um, Tamar and the offspring recorded here in this uh, genealogy, Perez and, and Zerah, they, they are the result of an incestuous union between Judah uh, and Tamar. Uh, Rahab was a Canaanite prostitute. Uh, Ruth was a Moabite uh, woman, uh, and, and Bathsheba, uh, the wife of Uriah, the Hittite, who wasn't um, Jewish, uh, she has this adulterous affair, probably more, less an affair and more of a rape uh, with David, and from that um, union, Solomon is born, who is in the line of Jesus. And what's remarkable about this narration is, is that it's just not that these were sinful, compromised uh, women. Um, it's that Matthew, for example, with Tamar and, and, and Judah is saying it's not just that these were sinful people. It was the act of sinning that God nevertheless used to create this lineage that would find its fulfillment in Jesus Christ. I mean, think about that. It's more than just God loving us as sinners, he, using our sin in ways that don't justify it, but redeem the act itself through the lineage of grace that is released uh, by that act. You and I, we can become part of this extended 
uh, genealogy of grace uh, that we read about here in Matthew's Gospel. The second thing that's distinct about biblical genealogies is that genealogies are the record of the past to point us forward into the future. First Testament, the Old Testament's worldview is they don't think about the future by looking forward, they think about the future by looking behind them. Uh, the image that uh, Hans Walter Wolf, a renowned Old Testament scholar, uh, made the observation of. He said it's like this. He says, when you are rowing a boat, uh, you set your point forward by the horizon line behind you. So as you keep your eye on that horizon line as you're rowing, uh, then you head in the destination that you want to go. Um, this is so different from how we think, isn't it? Uh, this, this reliance on the past to point you forward into the future. Uh, th this is very different. We tend to look at the future and think, what can we innovate? What can we change? What can we do? Uh, and the Jewish worldview in the Old Testament is that you, you go into your future with your eyes fixed on that horizon line of your people's past. And maybe the reason for that, it causes you to remember. A very common word in the Old Testament, isn't it? Remember. It's, it's this idea that if you forget, then you're doomed to become an idolater. You're, you're doomed to forget uh, the goodness of God. You're doomed to forget the importance of relationships and family. Uh, in forgetting your history, you forget your God. And in forgetting your God, it will lead to a compromised life in the future. I think one of the things as we all wait out COVID that I observe is this fear that has overtaken our nation and our world. Uh, a fear that went viral long before the virus went viral. Now I'm not, believe me, I am not a pandemic denier, um, but I, what I will deny is the panic that the pandemic has uh, released. I think from my perspective, there's nothing more um, expressive of the idolatry of our age than the panic and fear that has overtaken lives. Christians for centuries have said, in life and death, we belong to Jesus Christ. If we remember Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, we cannot give in to the same panic and fear. Uh, but what has happened is, is that the, idolat the idolatries of modernity, I think they've disappointed us. And in disappointing us, it's left us empty. And in that emptiness is sadness and fear. People are on edge. When you're fear, when you have anxiety, you're jumpy. But the genealogies that are present here remind us to remember God, to remember his faithfulness, to remember these stories um, for this reason, too, is when you're in the middle of a genealogy, you're not necessarily aware that God's doing his next big thing through you. I don't think when Tamar is raising Perez and Zara, she's thinking, I'm part of God's next big thing. In fact, God's next big thing is frequently elusive to us and therefore that's why we need to have faith uh, because God moves slowly. 
I don't think anybody on the planet moves slower than God. I think if God was to enter a hundred-yard dash, he would lose uh, because God <laughs> moves slowly. There's, there's no way around it. And that slowness creates this yearning within us, this longing to, come on, God, just do it. Get it over with. Get it done. Genealogies uh, remind us that God is using these timelines to affect something big. And, and, and what will be big is the return of Jesus. And that's why genealogies in the Bible, they encourage us uh, to not give up. Don't give up. Don't let your sin uh, cause you to give up because the genealogy teaches us that even in the act of our sinning, God can redeem that. Don't give up when you're confused by events in your own life, let alone in our nation and world. God is up to something. Uh, we don't know it. Jesus even said he didn't understand it. When, when he was asked, when are you going to return? When is the kingdom of God going to be restored? Jesus responded. Jesus of all people responds, I don't know. That's for my father to know. So genealogies, they, they teach us to wait. And as you're waiting, I want to encourage you to remember. Uh, remember the goodness of God. Re remember his kindness that he's showing in your life. Uh, remember narratives of people in your world that by faith in Jesus Christ now become part of your family narrative. Remember that there's nothing that can separate you um, from God's plan uh, for your life and in the world. Uh, we may not understand what is going on around us, but during this Advent season, we can take full confidence that God is working. Just as we look across the genealogy that's here in Matthew chapter 1, uh, we see times of certainty, times of confusion, times when God acts uh, eventfully and times when he's quiet and distant and apparently absent. But we see in this genealogy this movement across time in which we see that God's will wills out. And it all comes together in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And now there is a new genealogy. A genealogy that's made up of men and women, youth and kids, uh, that are Jews and Gentiles that come from every tribe, nation, and tongue. And they now are, are part of this genealogy, part of God's family tree. And you and I are invited to be part of that genealogy, to live life as a member of that family tree. Paul will say it this way uh, in Romans. He'll say that Gentiles have been grafted on to the Jewish tree, which means that we share a common genealogy now. Uh, I'm Jewish and Abraham is my father, uh, but now in Christ, Abraham is your father. David is your brother. Mary is your sister. We have more in common with those who come under uh, the faith of Jesus Christ through his blood shed for us than we do with our own families of origin uh, who do not share that faith yet. And so this Advent season, let's use these circumstances to remind us that waiting is okay, that longing is appropriate. Uh, we are longing for a return uh, that is yet to happen. Our denomination, Foursquare, has four squares, four foundations of faith. Uh, they are Jesus Christ, healer, baptizer, redeemer, and then this last one, soon coming king. 
That means that we have this expectation for his revival, his, his arrival and this longing for it. And the fact that we say soon coming king, it, in my mind, almost evokes this fact that it's just out of my reach. He's just out of my reach. But by his grace, I am not out of his. Dear ones, this Advent season, may we press in with our waiting, with our longing. May we remember his faithfulness. And may we live confidently and without fear in these times. Happy Advent. God bless you.